Last week in our text, we obviously focused on instructions that Paul was giving to men and women in the church. And so today, he follows that up by reminding the church at Ephesus and reminding us about his instructions to pastors and elders and overseers. So today, that's going to be our focus. And next week, we'll focus on the role of deacons. Now, before we even discuss this text, I want you to know that as a pastor, elder, overseer, and by the way, throughout the sermon today, those terms are used interchangeably throughout Paul's letters. So an elder, a pastor, an overseer, they're all referring to those that are pastors within the church. And just know that we as the pastors of this church do feel the weight and the responsibility of these qualifications. In fact, I think it's fitting that after last week's text, that would it only be fitting to now approach the qualifications that you as a church should have of your elders. And these are not qualifications that should be watered down. So as we work our way through these texts and through all of these qualifications, perhaps instead of putting our names by all of the ones that we don't live up to, maybe you should just put an asterisk by the ones that you can be fervently praying for us to display and exhibit those attributes that Paul mentions here. And even though it is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I have rightly, or not rightly, I have been recognized There are three other pastors on staff. (laughs) So I want to make sure you understand how important Nick and Trey and Reed are to everything that happens in the life of this church. I am 25% of a pastoral team. And this church would not function without their faithful leadership and without their faithful shepherding of this congregation alongside of me. So they deserve just as much recognition this month as you have given to me. So, let's dig into this text this morning. Before we even begin working through the text, let me remind you of this. In fact, write it at the top of your Bible on that page or in your notes. Because it's the most important takeaway. In the life of an elder or a pastor or an overseer, whichever word you want to use, character should always be prioritized over competency. Let me say it again. In the life of an elder, character should always be prioritized over competency. We all know stories of pastors who had major character flaws, major character issues, but they were allowed to remain in positions of authority and leadership because they were competent, because they were good preachers, because they were good leaders. Church, we cannot do this. Character must always trump any skills or competencies that a pastor must have. 
The Church of Jesus Christ is not a secular organization built on business principles. And sometimes in the world of business, you can get away with having a jerk of a leader if the company grows financially, if it's doing well in the eyes of the world. That cannot be the case in the life of the church. The church is the bride of Christ with the goal of glorifying God and making disciples and pastors who are unfit to serve due to a lack of fulfilling these qualifications that Paul mentions today damage the church and its witness to a lost world. So we cannot elevate men or keep men in positions of authority because they are skillful in their ability to lead an organization or to preach if they are not exhibiting the qualifications that Paul lays out for us in this passage. Because God has given instructions to pastors and those that aspire to be pastors, then pastors then should be evaluated based on what the Bible teaches they should be evaluated on, which is this passage today. And Paul argues in this passage that a pastor's character matters in three realms. Number one, their character matters personally. Number two, their character matters in the home. And then number three, their character matters in public. So number one, their character matters personally, it matters in the home and it matters in public. So let's begin in verse 1. Paul reminds us here that what he is about to say can be trusted. The phrase that he uses is, the saying is trustworthy. That's used four times throughout the pastoral epistles. Paul uses it to draw attention to the subject that he is about to discuss. Notice Paul doesn't say, if anyone is called to the office of overseer. He says if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. There was a book written some years ago called The Path to Being a Pastor by a man named Bobby Jameson. And it's a book that I always recommend to men or, or young men who are interested in pursuing pastoral ministry. And in that book, he argues that the word aspiration is actually a better word to use than the word calling, which is what we often use. For five reasons, he says. Number one, aspiring is more biblical. This is the word that Paul uses here in 1 Timothy 3. Number two, aspiration is more humble. Number three, aspiration is more accurate. Number four, aspiration is more fruitful. And then number five, aspiration is more freeing, he says. He argues that this idea of calling directs your view inward while aspiration directs your view outward to the objective requirements of what an overseer is called by God to do. So in other words, if anyone aspires to be an elder, their focus should be not necessarily on searching for some sort of internal call, but rather focusing on the qualifications that Paul has objectively laid out in this passage. Maybe there is someone in this room today who is contemplating 
a call into pastoral ministry. And the best advice that I could give you is to aspire to have these qualities that Paul lays out here in this passage. The focus should be on being the best Christian and the best church member you should be. And in the process of focusing in that, God can confirm that work that he is doing in you. And in verse 2, we see the banner, kind of the the title slide, if you will, of everything that an elder, a pastor, an overseer should be. And it is the phrase, above reproach. Paul says they must be above reproach. This is not an optional qualification. If a pastor is not above reproach, it can't be ignored just because the church is doing well, numerically, spiritually, financially. If a pastor is deficient in being above reproach, then he's not qualified to be a pastor, no matter what other giftedness he might bring. Now, as we get into the specific character qualities, remember the historical setting in which Paul is writing. He's writing to Timothy, who has remained in Ephesus to combat false teaching that had taken place within the church. So many of these qualifications that Paul gives to Timothy are not only what Timothy should be looking for as he raises up and develops elders within the life of the church, but they're also character qualities that the false teachers in Ephesus were not exhibiting. And this is the list that he gives. Paul says, number one, They should be the husband of one wife. Lots of various views on what Paul actually means here. But generally speaking, the broad consensus is that this means a one-woman man. Paul is not requiring marriage to be an elder. Because if that were the case, Paul and Timothy would not be qualified for pastoral ministry. But some of the false teachers in Ephesus according to 1 Timothy 4, were actually forbidding marriage and at the same time were sexually promiscuous. So Paul is trying to contrast the behavior of these false teachers with what should characterize true teachers, true elders. So a pastor is not only to be faithful to his wife physically, but emotionally, mentally, Psychologically, it is a call to remain faithful to the bride that God has given that pastor or that elder. He then says they should be sober-minded. This means that they have clear judgment and they can restrain themselves. It ties in with this idea of self-control. Overseers should be able to practice discipline in their lives they should have order in their lives discipline is being able to do what it is that you know you need to do and also being able to not do the things that you know you're not supposed to do now of course we don't do this in our flesh we do this in the power of the spirit but there is a sense Paul is telling Timothy that when you are looking for men who aspire to the office of elders They should be sober-minded. They should have self-control. 
They should be respectable, he says, which means well-ordered. And actually is a reference to their outward appearance. Not that they all have to be as good-looking as myself, but that generally speaking, they take good care of themselves. This is what it means to be respectable. They should extend hospitality to others. In Paul's day, this often looked like opening up your home to traveling preachers and traveling itinerant evangelists. Now, obviously, in our day-to-day, that's not quite as necessary. But what does it mean for a pastor to be hospitable? It means that a pastor should be willing to open up his home, to invite people in, to open up his schedule to where he's willing to meet with his sheep, to discuss various issues, to go out to lunch with them, to have coffee with them, not only to always address their spiritual needs, but just as a way to encourage And love those in their flock. A pastor must schedule time, if he has to, to ensure that he is hospitable. While it might be nice to sit in my office for 40 to 50 hours a week and just read books, that's not everything that God has called a pastor to do. He has to be in the life of his people. He needs to be hospitable. Many of the early churches in Paul's day were house churches. So the teachers, the elders, the pastors actually had to have people into their home as they studied God's word together. That's not so much the case for us anymore. But yet the idea of hospitality still exists for pastors today. We must be willing to open up our home and be available To those that God has entrusted to us. And then of course. The most common characteristic of an elder. That we often associate with them. Is being able to teach. Now. Most commentators point out that when Paul is writing this list, he's not writing it in any specific order. In other words, even though the banner is above reproach, once you start going through the list, he's not moving from most important to least important. That's not really how Paul constructed lists in his writings. But I still find it interesting that able to teach comes right in the middle of the instructions that Paul is giving Timothy here. Don't miss that. Being able to teach is the qualification of an elder, but it is not the only qualification of an elder. And sometimes this is where we get confused. We elevate the qualification of teaching above all of the character qualities that surround it in this passage. Being able to teach, don't get me wrong, is vitally important. And elders in the church have been led by God to be the primary teachers. They should be able to handle the word and carefully communicate it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it. But it is not the only quality that a church should look for in its pastors and elders. It is one of many qualifications that Paul gives in this passage. Then, he says, not a drunkard. This ties back into the idea of self-control. 
They need to be able to behave themselves appropriately. Drunkenness throughout the whole Bible is always a sin. This is not unique to Paul's writing here. An elder should not be a drunkard. Now, this is not a prohibition to never drink alcohol necessarily, but if some pastors and elders feel like it is a violation of their conscience to drink alcohol in any way, then they should listen to their conscience. But nevertheless, Paul's direction here is that pastors and elders are not to be drunkards. They are to be gentle, he says, not violent. An elder's disposition should be one of compassion and kindness expressed through gentleness. Even when wronged, even when approached aggressively by someone, an elder, a pastor should stay above the fray and exhibit gentleness towards others. Not quarrelsome, Paul says. It means they don't really need to be people that are looking for fights. They don't need to win every argument for the sake of just being argumentative. An elder shouldn't be concerned with having to win all the time. Not quarrelsome. Remember, in the context, that these false teachers were constantly arguing about genealogies and myths And they were trying to persuade people to come to their side. They wanted to win. They were quarrelsome. They were constantly arguing with people to get them to come to their side. This is not how an elder should live. Now there are primary truths that a pastor should never bend on. But there are also secondary and tertiary issues where there is room for disagreement even between brothers and sisters in Christ within the same congregation. So I don't have to win an argument with you over your view on the second coming of Christ. You might have a specific view. I might have a specific view. As long as we're in agreement that Jesus is returning for his bride, I'm good with that. Now, I might happen to think that my view is better than your view, But it's not even worth arguing about because these are not primary doctrines upon which our faith will crumble if we don't all believe the same thing. Now, if you want to have an argument about Jesus' sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross for the sins of his people, that is not up for debate. We must agree over that. We must agree over the inspiration of God's word. We must agree on those primary doctrines. But outside of that, there is room for disagreement between brothers and sisters. And so I don't particularly feel a strong obligation to have to win every argument with you or even to convince you of every single theological belief that I may have from God's word based on secondary and tertiary issues. He goes on to say, not a lover of money. Now, this is not a statement that says pastors can't have money or be paid, but it is a reminder that money is a powerful temptation that Satan uses in the lives of elders in the same way he uses money in your lives to distract you from the things that ultimately matter. Jesus reminds us of this in the parable of the sower when he talks about 
the seed that is thrown on the thorns. And that the cares of this world and the distractions of the world come up and they choke the root. And money can have that effect, not only in the life of a pastor, but in the life of anyone. If a pastor is most concerned about his retirement account and his investments and his properties, if he's more concerned about those things than he is the souls that God has entrusted to him, then that's a problem. So Paul says, don't be a lover of money. And then jump down to verse 6. Because he kind of skips around. He says he must not be a recent convert. Now there's no specific time frame by which Paul gives us here. Is it, is it a year? Is it two years? Is it five years? We're not really given a clear answer to this. But here's what we do know, generally speaking, about new converts to faith in Christ. You'll remember this if you've been converted. Shortly after becoming a Christian, you are on fire for the Lord, right? It's not that you're not on fire for Him now, but it's new. It's fresh. It's exciting in a way that it hasn't been before because you've never been saved before. And spiritual growth happens over the course of time. I've said this before, that you cannot microwave sanctification. You cannot expedite spiritual growth. We grow at different rates. God works in our hearts at different paces. And so Paul's warning to Timothy here is be very careful about taking a new convert and promoting him to the position of pastor or elder. The aspiration that a new convert might have for Christ might cause him to think that perhaps God is leading him or giving him this aspiration to be a pastor when in reality they could just be super excited about being a Christian. And over time, that passion for pastoral ministry maybe wanes and instead they just want to faithfully follow after Christ in whatever he leads them to do. So... A new convert's love for the church and their love for spiritual disciplines. They might be really intense at first, but over time, they might wane. Over time, they might have realized that they were only responding emotionally. And their aspiration for pastoral ministry might not have actually been there. So Paul is telling Timothy, disciple these new converts... Teach them God's word, build them up in the life of the church, but just be patient. Be patient on promoting them to the office of pastor. Here's what Bobby Jameson shares in his book. I love this quote. This would apply to new converts and to any of those aspiring for pastoral ministry. Pursue godliness. Pursue godliness more than you pursue Position or publicity or prestige. Pursue godliness more than you pursue the pulpit. Pursue godliness more than you pursue others' recognition of your godliness. Pursue godliness when no one is looking and no one cares. Pursue godliness when it seems like godliness is not getting you anywhere that you want to go. 
That's a call for all Christians. But especially those new converts or even those that aspire pastoral ministry. The most important thing that you can do, and I feel, I feel strange even talking about this because so much of 1 Timothy 3, as, as I was coming up in pastoral ministry and I'm still growing in pastoral ministry, this is not the way I was thinking, okay? So many of the things that I'm sharing with you don't necessarily reflect the way that I was raised in the faith. When I was 22, 23, even though I was concerned about godliness, I was also concerned about getting that position within a church. I was concerned about having opportunities to preach and opportunities to be in front of people. And many times that was my focus rather than what Jameson says here. So let me caution you and give you advice from what I didn't do that the most important thing you can do if God is leading you in this way, is just to pursue godliness wholeheartedly and to pursue faithful church membership wherever God might have you. Outside of the qualification that Paul gives to teach in this passage, all of these qualities that he's mentioned describe all Christians. The New Testament scholar Don Carson says the most incredible thing about these qualifications is that they're really not all that incredible. They're basically just the basic things outside of teaching that God calls every single Christian to do. This list is not just for pastors. The things that he mentions are good things for all believers in Jesus Christ to do. The only thing able to teach is the one that might not be laid on every single believer in Christ. But the rest would describe all of us. So number one, character matters personally. All of these qualifications matter. But number two, character matters in the home. Look at verses four and five. He shifts to this. What does it mean to manage a household well? This sounds somewhat subjective. Your definition of well might be different than another person's definition of well. But one commentary pointed out that it's not referring to the quality of the performance as much as it is doing something in the correct way. Therefore, an elder who manages his household well will, number one, love his wife if he's married, which he doesn't have to be, love and disciple and nurture his children, if God has given him children, but they don't have to have children, and he faithfully provides, serves sacrificially, and provides spiritual leadership for those in his home. Pastors, is the same way that you shouldn't, we should not be outsourcing the discipleship of our children to the church. That is not the church's responsibility, to make sure that your children grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ultimately, that is the responsibility of parents. And churches come alongside parents to ensure that that happens. So I have to be in God's word with my children. Not just when I'm up here on stage, but when we're at home. I need to be praying with my children, not just when I'm praying with you in the service, but when I'm home. I need to be serving my family 
sacrificially. Not just in front of you so that you can see me do it, but when no one is watching in my home. Keeping children submissive is not a call for fathers to bully, coerce, manipulate their children. However, the children of elders should respect their father's leadership. Every child is different, and every pastor or elder might have to adjust the way he cares for his children according to the needs of each individual child. But if they are not responding to their father's leadership, then look very closely at what Paul says in verse 5. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So Paul is making the comparison between the management of one's home and the management of the church. Now, as difficult as it would be personally for me to do, if I'm taking these qualifications seriously, there might be a time when I realize that as a pastor, my children and my family are suffering. And they are not responding. They are not respecting my leadership. What should a pastor do in that instance? Well, I think the Bible is pretty clear. That pastor might need to step back and faithfully care for his family. Now, I don't think this necessarily means it would be a permanent disqualification from pastoral ministry. But here's the deal. If I fail at home, the church that I lead fails. Now, ultimately, it doesn't fail because we know Jesus' church wins. But if I fail in leading my family, then I fail this church. If I fail at discipling my children, then the church suffers. Now, Paul doesn't speak to the ages involved here. So I can't tell you, well, this only applies until they're 18. I don't exactly know the age limits that Paul has in mind here. We all know many pastors who have adult children, perhaps, that are wandering away from the Lord or are not in the faith. And those are kind of case-by-case situations. But I do want you to do this for me. As the membership of the church, it would be very helpful if you held us as pastors accountable to what Paul teaches about how we are to care for our families. So remind us, encourage us as pastors to prioritize the spiritual and the physical well-being of our families over the needs of the church. Even though we know it according to God's word, sometimes you speaking that truth into our lives reminds us that what is most important is the way that we care and love and disciple our family members. So Paul makes it very clear. If you're going to be a pastor, character matters not just publicly, excuse me, not just personally, but also in the home. And then number three, character matters in public. So a pastor elder can have all of the qualifications personally covered. He can be great in public, but still fail in his relationship with outsiders. A pastor theologically is responsible for the sheep that God entrusts to him. 
But his reputation in the public sphere also matters. Now, of course, if you were to go on the street today and throw my name out to somebody, I'm sure there's somebody out there that doesn't like me, okay? I get that. So this is not like a 100%, every person you talk to in this community has to say that I'm a great guy in order to remain in the office of pastor. I don't think that's what Paul means. But generally speaking, a pastor's character should be well regarded by those in public, by those outsiders, as Paul says here. The behaviors of pastors do not simply affect themselves. They affect the churches they pastor. They affect the witness of the gospel to the community. Now, before you start saying, wow, that's a really hard job, and how do y'all do that? You don't have to feel sorry for us, okay? We know what we signed up for. God has given us these qualifications. I know that my reputation, how I am viewed by outsiders, matters. And you know what? I actually kind of like it because it holds me accountable. I view it as a gift of God's grace to me that I am in a position that even when I'm out in the community, people sometimes know who I am and they're watching to see how I behave. I view that as a good thing. Any way that prevents me from falling into sin, I'm fine with, including those outsiders that might be watching me. So remember the definition of the church that we often use. The gospel made visible to the community. When pastors and elders are not well thought of by outsiders, it damages the gospel witness of that particular church. The way outsiders view us as pastors and elders is important because the gospel is important. And lost souls are saved through hearing the good news of the gospel. And when pastors fail, the churches of Jesus Christ are damaged as a result. So church, as you think and reflect on these qualifications, here's what I want you to do. Let me encourage you to hold us accountable to what Paul writes in this passage. Pray these qualifications over us as I know you pray for us daily. Take these qualifications and begin praying those over us. Gently, lovingly remind us when we are not exhibiting these qualifications that Paul mentions here. And do not ignore or reject parts of the list simply because you have a good relationship with the pastor or because the church seems to be doing well. Hold your pastors to these qualifications. Do not water them down. God has gifted his church with these instructions for elders because he knows better than we do what the church needs in terms of its leadership. So we are to be above reproach. We are to aspire these qualifications personally, in the home, and publicly. Hold us to it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. God, I know myself, Nick, Reed, Trey, we all feel the weight of these qualifications. And we know that in our flesh, we are never able to live up perfectly to what you have called us to do. But because your spirit resides in us, we want to walk according to your spirit and not according to the flesh. God, may we, as pastors here at this church, live lives that are above reproach. 
And I pray that our brothers and sisters in Christ in this room would encourage us when they see us doing these things well and gently rebuke us when we need to do better. Father, we are a family in this room. You have brought us together to love one another, encourage one another, and gently rebuke when needed to happen. So give us as pastors the humility to receive these qualifications, to reflect on them, and to fervently pray that as we grow in holiness, that we would conform more to these qualifications that you have given to us. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.